Every work team has moments of conflict and dysfunction. Sometimes productive conflict is a necessary part of wrestling through big ideas to get to the best possible outcome. But sometimes our teams become mired in conflict that is entirely avoidable because it's based in vastly different communication styles or different motivations and misunderstandings. Enter the Enneagram. The Enneagram offers not only self-awareness, but also curiosity and deeper understanding of others. I teach the Enneagram and consult with teams to improve their communication styles, conflict effectiveness, and self-leadership, all of which foster highly engaged and high-performing teams. During a recent team event, I heard over and over, this just makes so much sense when they looked around the room and saw who was fitting within each type. And now I know why this person asked so many questions or this depersonalizes some of the conflict we've been having because I can tell we're just coming from different perspectives. So now that we know where we are, we can see how we can get aligned. So if you're looking for ongoing support or simply considering an engaging introspective module for your team's offsite or event, let's talk. Reach out to the Nine Types team at hello at ninetypes.co or schedule a one-on-one consultation with me on my website, ninetypes.co. And now on to the show. Hello and welcome back to Enneagram in Real Life, a podcast that will help you go beyond Enneagram theory into practical understanding so that you can apply the Enneagram in your day-to-day life. I'm your host, Steph Baron Hall, creator of Nine Types Co. on Instagram, author of the Enneagram in Love, accredited Enneagram professional, and Enneacurious human just like you. Be sure to check out the show notes for more ways to apply the Enneagram in your daily life. Thanks so much for listening and now on to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Enneagram in Real Life, another episode. And today we have a very special guest because our guest is my husband, Brandon. So Brandon is here today and we are going to talk about our relationship and marriage and our types and all that kind of stuff. And we decided to do this because today, if you are listening to this episode when it came out, on the day it came out, today is our anniversary. So we just figured it would be fun. I mean, I guess I figured, and then I asked Brandon if he wanted to join me, um, that it would be fun to answer some of your questions for us about our types and, you know, our relationship and all that kind of stuff. So if you follow on Instagram at Nine Types Co., you might have already sent in questions or seen me answer a few of them. But today we're going to be answering more of those. So Brandon is an Enneagram 1. Like I've mentioned before, I'm an Enneagram 3. So Brandon is a designer and people always ask me what type of designer is he? And and maybe we can ask him that question, but really he's a content designer, a marketing designer. He does a lot of different things that are about really the conceptual side of design um, and making things work better for people, improving the way that people can operate using things like email and website and those sorts of things. And that is a really natural fit for him because that's just how he operates, which you're going to hear pretty soon here. So Brandon's a type one, I'm a type three. And yeah, I mean, I think that's all I have by way of intro. I don't have a very formal intro, but this is Brandon's podcast debut. So everybody welcome Brandon to the podcast. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we can start off today, Brandon, with like one of the questions that we got 
a couple of different times, which was, did either of us ever mistype? So to begin, let's start there. And I think it'd be cool to hear your typing journey and how you discovered the Enneagram and then found your type. Yeah, so I think it was in 2014 or 2015 when I heard um, a liturgist podcast about the Enneagram. And they go through that and they talk about the different types. And I almost immediately resonated with the one. Um, but after that, I went and took the test from Riso Hudson. Is that yeah, the ready. Mm-hmm. The ready um, test. And that came back pretty glaringly as a one. And I, I sent the results over to Stephanie. Stephanie hadn't heard about the Enneagram yet. And I was like, I think you'd be really interested in this because Steph has naturally been into typing systems and has always encouraged me to take either strengths finder or she did um, the disc assessment. And then even before that, we talked about MBTI when, and early on in our dating relationship. And it's always something that she's been naturally drawn to. So I, of course, introduced her to the Enneagram. Um, wah, wah. What did I say? <laughs> she, in uh, just like classic for our relationship, she, she's like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then just kind of, like went on with her day and it wasn't until her sister, I don't know how much longer, like I think it was a lot longer. It was like six months to a year later, her sister brought it up and she was like, okay, maybe I should look into this. Like almost completely forgetting. (laughs) Well, maybe not forgetting, but like not acknowledging (laughs) that, that I had, I had talked about the Enneagram. Um, And now she started to like dive deep on it. But through my, Proce- uh, through my journey process, like Steph started teaching the Enneagram not long after that um, in smaller groups. And there was one time she was teaching it and she was going through the types. And I thought I was a five. Yeah. Uh, I think- yeah. I think it was that, that was it. Like I, I like really resonated with her teaching on the five. There were so many things that just made sense to me. Um, And even before that, I think I, thought I I'd like or no I think after I took the test it was actually like I was like I'm either a 1 or a 9. I think those were my two highest scoring ones, but like the one was pretty dominant. And so like I kind of I stuck with the one for a while and then I identified with the 9 for a little bit, but that didn't seem to fit. And then when Steph taught about the 5, then I kind of transferred over to the 5. And then not long after that, I felt as though I was an 8 operating out of stress, meaning that I was like being seen as a five. Um, and then I don't even know. I don't even know what happened after that. I think Steph, like years later, like two years later, maybe like brought up that you were entertaining the idea that you thought I was a one, like going back to like my original assessment. And so like, that was kind of my journey through various different types, trying to sort through it and make sense of it. Yeah. Well, and I think what, kind of is interesting throughout all of that is people sometimes ask me like how do I know what to do next you know especially like how do I know I'm not mistyped and all these different things but one thing I kind of appreciated about that is we were able to have really good conversations at each step of the way and you were able to describe things about yourself that I didn't know before and so I was able to like get to know you in a different way and so I think that that was still helpful even though you know yes you were mistyped but I think in those intervening years too, because you were mistyped, you were kind of like, well, this is kind of like whatever, like kind of this whole thing is a little bit of bullshit and like you're just way too obsessed with it and, and like I don't want to talk about it. And and so for me, I just had to respect that and back off because 
I knew that it wasn't going to be helpful if I continued to try to talk to you about it. And so I just like really cooled off on it. And then I think it was like about two, two and a half years ago when we finally were having this conversation. And I had been thinking for about six months or eight months at that time that you were actually a one. And so I kind of suggested like, you know, what if we, what if we just take a look at this? What if we, we revisit it? And I think that approach seemed a little bit more helpful than me just trying to be like, nope, you, you got to do this. This is, you know, this is your type. You have to figure this out. I think it ended up being helpful. And it was so fascinating just for us to then observe together, like different things about ourselves, but also to be able to hear from you talk about, you know, what does it look like to have true growth and transformation in your life? And for you to say, to not know what the Enneagram said about that, but to describe it perfectly as the virtue of serenity, which is the virtue of type one. And for me to be like, oh, that's so interesting. (laughs) And like to be able to reflect some of those Enneagram thoughts back to it, back to you, because um, yeah, I think it just opened up new conversations that we could have. And I don't know, I I just feel like it's valuable for you to discover that for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's fast forward then um, to today. How And this doesn't have to be exactly for today, but this is a question that we got. So how do you see your type show up in your life? It, oh, yeah. Uh, it comes up pretty easily in the workplace because I think I do operate out of a space that fits the type that I am. Um, and as the like the type of design work that I do is really about solving problems and thinking critically and planning more forward. And like, I know that this is going to sound six like, but it, it's kind of, it makes it, it makes it kind of difficult to explain because what I do is not necessarily about planning for what could go wrong, but envisioning how things can be done best. And so usually what that means is like, if we're talking about, like putting together an an email campaign, someone might say like, I want to do this, then that, and then this. And then I will look at that and be like, okay, well, how does that fit into the overall strategy of what we're already trying to achieve? And how can we borrow elements from other places? And is this going to go against something that we already have in place? And so like, I'm able to have this like clear picture of like, we've already established a goal and we're trying to achieve this goal. And this might be deviating from that path. And if it does deviate from this path, are we willing to go down that path and create this as a more like, is this another opportunity for us to actually take, or is it going to distract from what we're trying to do? And so I I like to consider myself more of like a rain pooler, like, like I'm riding a horse and I'm always trying to stop it from going too fast. So like every, like everybody around me is very excitable and ready to just like dive forward. And that's kind of, that's what it's felt like in a majority of the businesses that I've been a part of. They're like really rearing to go. They're like, well, we have this new initiative and I'm kind of like, okay, great. Yeah. Like I'm on board, let's do it. But I'm going to poke holes before we get started on this. And not because I don't think that it's a good idea. Like I do think it's a good idea, but let's make sure that we do it right. Um, And so I'm not so much trying to plan for what could go wrong. I'm just trying to minimize what could go wrong. Um, if that's a good explanation. Well, yeah, but I also think 
So I think that is a really good explanation. And I think that some of the ways that you do that, like, for example, we've talked about this before, where it's like you templatize things. So instead of thinking like, oh, every time we do this, I'm going to reinvent the wheel, you take the time up front to say, okay, let's make this right. Let's make it this the best it can be. Let's not just throw something together and then have to do that all over again. So when people are pushing forward, sometimes wanting to pull back and like re-examine, it's really about that whole process. Yeah. And some of that even has to do with how I balance my work day. Like I don't like to get in and like make one change to a document. So like when I hand over some, so I've designed a brochure or I've designed a case study or made a different change to our, to our email. If I send it off to someone, I don't expect them to take a one glance at it and then send it back to me immediately with one change or two changes. I want them to take the time to spend, even like sit on it for a day, sit on it for two days and keep going through it, comb, like comb through it and point out every single thing that's wrong. Because like, I, that's, that's, I think that that's the way that work should be done. Like when I work on something, I'm trying to hand over something that's near perfect every single time. And that's something that I've had to work through on my own that like my first draft is never going to be perfect. Um, but it usually is pretty close to complete. And so when someone hands it back to me with the red marks, I want that to be complete as well. Um, so that I don't have to go back in over and over again. And so, um, how, how do you work through that? Like, how have you been able to adjust that expectation that your first draft is perfect? Um, I like, I like, I think it's come through like a lot of it has come through my work experience now of having someone who's patient with my process and understanding, of how I work and given me the space to work on those things that's allowed me to actually figure these things out. The the job that I had previously didn't give me that space, didn't give me that time. And so like, I never was able to assess like, how do I work? What is the like best environment for me to be? And how can I give you the highest output with the highest quality? I was always acting from a place of like, I was always reacting. I was never able to make proactive decisions but like when I can work proactively, like if you give me the space to work on something and to think about it deeply, I can present a full process or complete design that is near done when I'm given the space because I'm going to think through every eventuality. Like, And now I'm in a space where my boss will just come to me and she'll hand me something and she says, we need to figure this out. And she doesn't ask questions. She doesn't, she doesn't have to check in on me. She gives me a due date. I either turn it in before the due date or on the due date. I'm never late on any of those things. And she's always happy with what I give because this is the type of work that I should be doing. And this is the type of environment that I do need as the type of person that I am to be able to think about every eventuality, think about how things should be presented and doing things. What I believe is the right way. Like this is like a lot of what I do is mostly just like layout. So like I'm putting information on a page and I'm, I'm thinking about not like there are obviously rules and design, particularly when it comes around with like readability and how you structure text. So like I have those rules inside of me and I'm able to just immediately look at a body of text that someone hands me and realize what I need to emphasize, what, what's going to fit into what area in terms of hierarchy. And so now that I'm in the space where that's like, I'm given the time to figure that out, I'm able to create templates for everything we do. So 
if someone comes to me with a one-off, which is not, which I don't ever believe, I don't believe in one-offs. One-offs don't exist. Like if someone comes to me and says like, Hey, we just need this really quick. I'm like, okay, great. Yeah. You need it quick, but I know you're going to come back to me for this. So give me the space to do it right this time. So the next time you come to me, it'll be done in five minutes and not in two hours. So those are, those are the type. That's how I like to think about work. It's like, never make me do something. That's a one-off. If it's a one-off, it shouldn't be done. And in my mind. And I I think that this is like, you're hearing the ways in which like sometimes how I want to communicate in the workplace, but don't get the the space to communicate. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense too, because what I also heard through that were like some of the themes that you often talk about, like talking about properly or should, or those sorts of things. Um, And I think too, like you do focus a lot on creating order and like, you know, the way that I see your type play out a lot is trying to make things feel calm, trying to make things feel orderly, like trying to bring chaos, bring order to all of the chaos. Um, and I think this is one of the things that we talked about some is, you know, I used to really teach the concept of stances and I don't so much anymore, except I was reflecting on this recently because the dependent stance is um, types one, two, and six. And a lot of the time people teach it as like they depend on others for how they feel. But I also think that for ones, ones really depend on the environment. Like there's almost like this underlying belief, like if everything around me is orderly and structured and systematized and balanced, et cetera, then, you know, I will be able to feel calm inside, like hoping that that, that inner peace comes inward. And you know, we've, we've talked about that some because, because you have so much focus and like capacity to see the little things that are out of alignment. Sometimes it means that you can never really feel that sense of calm. Yeah. Yeah. I want to add one more thing. I know that we've gotten like deep into this question already and we've got a lot more to get through, but I think something that is like, that maybe get maybe gets underplayed with ones who act this way, particularly in the workplace or maybe even in like everyday life is that I, I also don't believe in multitasking as an individual. Like I don't think that you actually get good output out of balancing a majority of things. Like you need to put focused attention into one thing. And so like when you set overall goals, you obviously have a bunch of distinct parts that contribute to that goal. And a lot of the times and maybe I'm speaking more for myself than I am for other people. My, my boss also recognizes that she doesn't, she doesn't want me to balance three different, three different projects at one time. So how that, like why that's important is that I think that it's really like when you're building towards an overall goal, you want to make sure that every distinct part is working the best it possibly can. And so you want to get that, to the most complete you can possibly get it like whatever distinct part that is contributing to the goal so that when you go to the next one you don't have to think about the one that you were working on before now you can apply all of the attention to that next part and to the next part and so these are the types of things that i like really irk me when i get distracted from working on a distinct part is that like no let me finish this because once this is finished then it's done we don't need to come back to it revisiting is not something that should be done like we want maintenance we don't want rework and like those are those are like those like that's how i 
that's how I think in the workplace. And um, I think I'm finally at a place that values that. And it's actually, it's an engineer led company. So it tends to value how I think about things as well. And so that kind of like permeates the culture of where I work, even though I'm come from more of like a creative business side, it's, I still think in maybe in more so in that like engineer style of, um, of work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you're just really good at, at that process and like making things one, I mean, making things efficient, like you can do so much in just a few short hours because you know, all of the processes so well, because, well, because you created a lot of them, but also because like, it's just, that's important to you. And so you just know that really well, so you can do a lot, but also we've talked about this before, but you're really good at seeing patterns and anticipating you know, what needs to be done when and like what's going to happen. And that comes together too with like being able to communicate things about like the brand or whatever else where it's, you know, how things need to look and to be communicated, to be succinct, but also to be cohesive. And so I feel like that's where that really comes across as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do you think you see your type show up? Mm, um. <laughs> So, I mean, I feel like it's almost comical at times. Um, I definitely see it show up in the sense that <laughs> I am just like so constantly thinking about what's next. Like, okay, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? I mean, I always joke that when I started Nine Types Co., I got bored for five seconds and decided to start a business. And I think that's really like true of me. And, and even I would say recently, I just had like a really rough season and to come out of that i basically i needed to to increase revenue but i like ended up turning on all of the faucets at once and now it's like oh my gosh the bathtub is overflowing and i don't know how to turn anything off um or it's like you know things keep coming back and it's like all right yes on that yes on that yes on that and so things are just overflowing and so I'm ending up feeling overwhelmed um, and it's hard because it's like, sometimes it's frustrating because I'm like, shoot, I, I really wish a three hadn't planned my calendar, you know? Um, and so it's something that you and I have talked a lot about where I will get to the end of the day and be like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't do and get anything done. And you're like, um, you are not a robot. And that's easy for me to forget. I feel like now, a few years in, I do a lot better at managing my time and energy. Like I can look at my calendar and know, okay, after this event or after this date, I'm going to be pretty exhausted. Like I'm not going to be able to just dive into something else that next day. Um, and I'm getting better at like knowing that and observing that and recognizing it and valuing it. But it's still really hard to pre-plan the times of like rest and rejuvenation that I really need. Um, so I think that shows up a lot. And then also I think the image thing is just really big, you know, um, like I think about even just like at home, you know, oh my gosh, like the hose is across the yard where <laughs> we need to really like clean up the, the sidewalk or whatever. And I'm like, what are the neighbors going to think of us? You know what I mean? Like those little things like that, it's really hard for me to avoid or to let those things go. Um, and it's definitely a balance sometimes in my mind of like, what does it mean to be a conscientious person who like cares about my neighbors? And what does it mean to be a person who's just like so obsessed with image? Um, I think that those are some of the ways I see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
it feels like the the way in which we take care of the yard is kind of emblematic of who we are as people. Like your focus is always on the front yard and my focus is always on the backyard. <laughs> so yeah. you're always you're always on the image maintaining and I'm always on trying to cultivate a space of like peace and serenity. <laughs> yeah, well and it's so funny because I think, you know, even when we were redoing the front yard, we had this funny conversation because you were like, it's fine if it doesn't look perfect. It's a DIY project. And I think that ones are commonly accused of being the most perfectionistic, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think any type can be a perfectionist, but you know, for you in a lot of ways, I see you valuing efficiency and quality. Um, and that doesn't always look like perfectionism. And, but for me in that, that same instance, I was like, yeah, but if we just put in this a little bit of extra effort, it could be perfect. Like the, the perfection is like so close. I can taste it and I'm willing to go the extra mile to, to get there. And I think for you, for a lot of the time, you're much better at being like, this is minimum viable product and we're just going to move forward. And I do not do that well at all. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah, like I think how I see things is more so in like, this is a continuous endeavor. This is a never ending project. Oh so <laughs> that, like, uh, particularly when it comes to the yard, like I know that these, these are living things that like they need to be cared for and they need to be ta- like, and also just like the general state of it. It's like, I know like we did this in, or I think the, was it the second time around? No, the second time around we did it in spring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like knowing like, the the trees that are around this area that I'm like, I'm going to have to be out here raking. I'm going to have to be out here like blowing things off. I'm going to have to be going like these things need to be pruned, all this sort of stuff. So it's like, it's going to be a constant tinkering. And this goes back to like what I was talking about where it's like, I don't want rework, but I'm willing to do w- maintenance. Yeah. And, and so, I like, was like, I'm willing to pull up everything we've just done and correct it <laughs> in my mind. I mean, it's fine, but yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, it's a uh, it's it's interesting. I think that one other thing I wanted to add about how I see your type show up um, is just like talking about the state of the world and how broken everything is. Like we talk about that every day, and I think I can really empathize with how how much that weighs on you, um, and how you have like a lot of like big feelings around it. And I think a lot of the time I used to always perceive that just as anger, but um, I think now I, I definitely were able to have those conversations where I'm, I ask like, okay, well, what's underneath that? Um, and those are really good conversations though. Sometimes it, it it is just the state of the world and you're like pissed because it's just all mm-hmm. like everyone is being terrible. Yeah. So, the way that I see your type show up is like I, earlier I said, like I'm a rain pooler. Like I, I try to slow things down. Mm-hmm. And so like, and also I also explained how I like to be more procedural about things. So it's like, if I'm going to work on this, I'm going to work on this. And you're the difference between us is that you're willing to put a bunch of like, you're willing to spin a bunch of plates and I'm only really willing to carry a plate. <laughs> <laughs> And you you have the talent and attention to spin those plates. And I don't trust myself to do that. And so it's like I'm always constantly looking at someone who has this level of confidence to go after and do all these different things. 
and to kind of also be in the limelight and willing to bear that burden and like the cost that comes with that. Whereas I'm someone who like, like this, like this podcast scenario makes me nervous because like, I don't want to say something wrong and I don't like, and I, I inevitably will say something dumb because when I do start blabbing on and on and on, I'm going like something that's deep down in there that I don't know is there is going to eke out. Yeah. You, you know? verbally process. <laughs> yeah. I, and it's a dangerous space to be in. And so um, I think that like on a day-to-day basis, sometimes I just like, I look at the amount of work that you do and I just like, it exhausts me. Like, because I just don't know how it's possible. Um, and I think a majority of people don't really get to see behind the scenes on your business. Um, and so like, I think that there's, there's a lot of that because we work in such close proximity. We're literally like six feet apart right now. That's what majority of our work days look like. Um, we kind of carry each other's burdens and respect to work and your load is so much heavier than my load, particularly at this time, because I'm in a, I'm in a place that respects my, my space and my boundaries and, my the amount of effort that I can put in. But yeah, and I think like when we talk about the yard and we talk we talk about the house in general, like even outside of your business, like we want to redo the backyard. And like when you talk about redoing the backyard, you talk about it in big plans and you talk about every distinct part. And I talk about it in like, okay, well what part do we want to focus on first and how can we start building towards that? And like you're very big picture and I can tend to be a little bit too granular at times. I think that you're not exclusively big picture. Like you can see the parts that need to get done, but like we're, we're talking about because of our work situation, we're talking about building a studio in the backyard for one of us to work out of. And like what I see is like, okay, we're going to put it here. And then I also see that that's where that it's going to be is not flat. So that needs to be taken care of. And then I'm like, okay, are we going to put it on pier and beam? Are we going to put it on skids on top of gravel? And then once we do that, like after we've made that decision, this isn't even going into consideration about talking about like, what is the structure going to look like? How's it going to be laid out? Are we both going to be in there? Is only one of us going to be in there and all those sorts of things. And I start to think through all of like, how do we do this? So that like the thing that actually ends up there is perfect. And you're just like, no, we just need a thing. We just need a start. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Well, and I think it's funny too, just like going back to where you started with that is like, you mentioned the confidence and like, I feel like I've worked a lot on that, but for the past, like most of my adult life, I have like felt very not confident. Like there, and especially with my business, there are a lot of things where it's like, I'm just freaking figuring this thing out. Like I have no idea what I'm doing. And it's interesting. And like also like not really wanting to be in the, the limelight, but also recognizing that in some ways that's very needed. And uh, it, it like is painful, but there's also this part of me that's like, I can't not do it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, that's like, I think the major difference between us and maybe even between your type and other types is the bent towards action in the face of self doubt. Yeah. I like, like self doubt for me, like I already talked about means considering everything and then becoming overwhelmed to the point in which like, I am just like, I'm like buried underneath all of the eventualities. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, it's, it's a thing and I feel it. And also I'm like, all right, so what are we going to do though? Because 
I think in the face of self-doubt, I typically get really practical um, and just think, all right, well, like, what is the one thing I can do today? Like, what, what, how are the things that I can put together? But also it's because this is like my job. Um, so that's probably where it's a little bit different too. Um, it's a thing that's extremely personal and emotional and risky. And it's also how I make money. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it's weird. Yeah, and the way I cause like I think there's also like I think that I have tried to start way more side projects than you have. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I've started way more side projects is because I've given up on those side projects. Whereas like you started a flower business and then you started an Enneagram business. Like mm-hmm. you started as like a wedding florist and then you also started this. Those are the two things that you did, but you have done them continuously day after day. Yeah. Whereas like I'll do it for like a couple of weeks and then I'm just like, eh, I'm not seeing results. uh-huh yeah yeah it's it's interesting i feel like we're really different but i also do think our strengths are really complementary um okay let's talk about incorrect stereotypes of type one i think the thing that i would love to hear you talk about is like the perfectionism stereotype a bit and then also like that self-assured and judgmental yeah so because I'm, I, I don't really lean into the perfectionism side that much. Like when I say perfectionism, I'm thinking of like the stereotype of someone who always has coordinated outfits, always looks put together. Um, you know, their car is always clean. Their house is always clean. Like everything seems to be in order. Um, like I don't lean into that, but I can sympathize with people who are that way because I think that the motivation is pretty similar to like where I'm at. Um, and like, it's coming from a place of trying to create order out of the chaos. And I think that this is like kind of like a misplaced way of like handling what's actually going on internally. So there's obviously like looking around and seeing everything out of order, or even just like, I think for me, like how I view the world is okay. How are things not working properly? Like, and this is this is like something that has b- bothered Steph in the past of like we'll go to a restaurant and like because I'm a process and procedural person I like the I'll immediately sit down and like people always talk about like these tight like little cute cafes and stuff like that and all I see is the pain and anguish of the servers walking around having to shuffle behind seats like not even having adequate space to like even get out of the way like a person can't get out of the chair and go to the bathroom just like how it's not functional yeah it's not a functional space and so like we'll we'll go out and i won't have said like i the it's very rare that this happens but say it's one of those times where i don't say anything during the meal we'll leave and she'll like steph will say oh we had such a nice evening and like i'll then all of a sudden i'll just unload about how everything was wrong with the restaurant and like the food may have been good the service may have been great but all i see is everybody else like collectively struggling to move through the space and and so like yeah we were having such a nice night (laughs) (laughs) and so like that like i think is kind of like the motivating factor behind like what's going on with ones is like Mm -hmm. you may see this orderly like presence in the world or this perfect like this attempt towards perfect presence in the world but actually what's going on is like what i'm describing in that restaurant is actually happening internally like this struggle to kind of navigate through how the world is actually operating when we've already set rules in place for how we should do things but then we also notice that some of these rules are broken 
and are disadvantaging certain people. And so like, when we go into our small spaces, like we go into our homes or we go into our workplaces and stuff like that, and we try and create this order extrinsically when realistically what we need internally is peace. Mm-hmm. Yes. And two things I want to like kind of add or like expound upon with that. One is I think that that's a really great description of, of really what's going on for a lot of ones. And, and like really this belief that things could be so much better and you really do optimize her functionality. So I think that that is incredibly helpful. Um, and I also have to say, I have never once seen you wearing mismatched socks. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that really, like, I don't care if my socks match ever. And you always like have matching socks. And that's just like one of those things for you that it always carries through. Um, Because if I can't see it, I can feel that they are different socks. (laughs) (laughs) What if they're from the same pack? It doesn't matter. I can feel. like (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) So, but like with what you're saying there about like finding the deep inner peace, I feel like you have kind of really worked on that and created. But can you give like one quick example of a way that you have learned to find that sense of inner peace that you actually are looking for? Yeah, I, I think that something that's been surprising for me in these last like couple of years is how much I've discovered how much energy I have. And when that energy isn't like, this is like physical energy that I'm talking about, when that energy is not expelled, um, that, that actually, uh, that my brain kind of runs unfettered. And so like finding spaces where like of self-acceptance or like, or just like creating places of, of of where I can find that peace internally. So like two of those places are like, I will, I play disc golf with friends, but like when I go out and play solo, like I put into like intentional practice of going out there and accepting the fate of whatever disc I throw. So like when I throw it, if it's a bad shot, it's a bad shot. I can't change it. So like, if I can't change it, like then I can't get mad about it. So I just need to go to where it's lying and I need to throw my next throw and just think about what's next. And so I think that that's like probably one of the biggest ways in which I tried to find inner peace. I think I also talked about, sorry, I like I'll go off on another tangent a little bit about like, this is kind of more of like a real world example of like, I, I have notoriously been an angry driver my entire life. Um, <laughs> and I, have like kind of come to this place in this, in, in the car. And this actually like, this happened through therapy, but it's like, that's kind of like more of a private way of talking about it. And like probably something that I keep guarded, but like how it actually plays out is like, this is like a good example of like when I'm in the car and I'm like getting on the freeway, like it's my job to find the space to get on the freeway. So I need to speed up or I need to slow down. And one of the my biggest pet peeves, and I have pet peeves, not just I don't have a pet peeve. Like w- one of my biggest pet peeves on the road is when people are getting on the freeway and they can't make up their mind or don't know how to make the decision for themselves to either speed up or slow down to find the space to get on. And that's like one of the things that will drive me the most furious. And then like the reason why this, the reason why I'm in that lane in the first place is because I need to be in that lane early so that I can get off. And that's the other thing that bothers me is that people don't get into the right lane to get off the freeway when they're ready to get off. They wait until the last possible second. And so what I've learned in this scenario is like, I cannot control what the other cars, what the other people are doing. 
I can only control my response to those things. But that's essentially that's where like, um, that's where I've kind of found that there we, I, it's like one of your questions and I'm getting way ahead of it, but like, you know, there's this, it comes from this, it comes from this book, but it's the lesson is like tend to your own garden. And that's kind of been, that's kind of, that's like a mantra that I've held on to for several years now of like, I like, it's not my job to go over to my neighbor's house and make sure all of their stuff is in order. It's my job to take care of what's under my domain. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, like that starts from a place internally. And so thinking internally before I even go and do things, this is something that I think has been a struggle for me is that like, I will just go into go into a situation and just act from instinct. And like that instinct tends to be more primal. It doesn't, it isn't something that is kind and accepting and open-minded. It's something that like is, I know the mm-hmm. answers. I know what is right. So like when someone says, oh, I believe this, then I'm ready to rip that thing apart and deconstruct it. And so like now, like there are certain times where I know that I'm going into a situation where it'll trigger that primal instinct. And I say to myself, you're going into this. It's not your job to change their mind. It's Mm -hmm. not your it's not your job to tell them that they're wrong. Like, how can you be secure in your own beliefs and your own way of living that you don't need to project that onto somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. That, it, that is such hard work and it's so good. And I think too, with what you were talking about with disc golf too, I have heard you talk a lot about the way that you've been able to practice self-compassion and really see the impact of self-compassion in that arena in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Incorrect stereotypes of type three. Um, I, I think the thing that I think about the most is that I, when I see stuff that says that threes just want attention or when they just want to win no matter what, or they want to step on other people or that they're just greedy or attention grabbing or flashy or like all of those things, they, those, are, those really irritate me because I don't feel like that's what I'm about at all. And I feel like in a lot of ways, the thing that's hardest for me in my business and owning my own business is like, I do have to go out and say, this is how you can <laughs> like pay me for my work. And I, for so many years, just gave everything away for free because I just didn't want to have to ask. Like, I didn't want to have to say, this is how you can pay me. But that like, it, it's not a good way to live. Like, you can't just give away your life's work for free. Um, and so it's just been really hard for me, I think, to build that. And so it's always interesting, I think, to give feedback, to get the feedback that like, oh, you're just, you know, shallow or greedy or something like that. When I share about offers that I have or, or ways to, to, um, work with me that are, that are paid offers because, um, I have had to work so hard on my own, like inner stuff and like my own mindset. And then to have it thrown back in my face, like, oh yeah, you're greedy for, for basically running a business, like a business that has, you know, revenue. Um, I think that's the thing that, that I'm kind of thinking about the most right now. Um, but I would also say the other incorrect stereotype of type three is that threes don't care. And I just don't think that's the case. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah, particularly with the one that is like threes don't care. Um, 
I think threes are one of the few types that are willing to bring everyone else along so that everyone gets to experience that success. And like, that's not talked about enough. Like they, they recognize, and and I've seen you in your business function this way that you can't do it alone. Like, even though like, that's the, that's like kind of also a picture that I feel like is painted is that like, like that threes can just be bullish and then they're just going to push through and they're going to, they're going to find a way to do it. And they don't care what happens on the way through. And that, that's just patently untrue. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you can't wait to celebrate successes with other people. Mm -hmm. Like you minimize your own successes in some way. Um, but when it, like you're willing to slow down so that other people can go with you. And that, because like, and that's, I think the thing that's amazing is like, even the pace at which you put out work, you still have people coming along with you for the ride. And they're actually helping you move forward quicker as well. But in the early stages, like you have to get them up to speed. Um, yeah. And that like, and I think it's one of the ways in which like le- threes make good leaders when they, when they're able to tap into that space. Obviously this comes from a lot of self-work then. And like realizing that like, no, we need other people to come along with us. And that's the space that you operate from is that it's like, they're not going to leave people behind. They're not going to cut them off because they're not, they're not working at a certain level. Like, I think that there's a, there's a lot of stuff that like, maybe like, maybe you've been hurt by threes in the past. Mm. And like what you're describing is someone who's acting from a place of unhealth, but that is not definitive of the type. And so like, and I think that's a lot of, that's a hard, that's hard work that a lot of people have to do when they tend to bristle up against a type that has harmed them. Like I've been seriously harmed by an eight. And so it's hard for me when I hear like this person is an eight, it's hard for me to detach eightness from someone's like, from, from what this person did to me, like the trauma that was caused through that event. Or, or through that person's actions. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people, because our society tends to lean heavily into that three space and elevate threes, like maybe some of them have been coddled and like kind of put on a pedestal. And like we talk about them as if they are like these people that we should model ourselves after. And then it's not much longer that we find out that behind the scenes, they've been doing awful things all along. But like they may have not even been a three, they just kind of project those ideas of three. And I think our society is kind of moving, I think, away from that. I think there might even be like some sort of an elevation of fives at this point in time. Mm. And so like there's always going to be this like flux and change in which like how things are perceived and like sometimes something will seem bit better than the other thing. But yeah, I, I think I've kind of like <laughs> like I'm, I'm kind of like rambling on at this point, but. Yeah, well, and I think that brings up a good point because this question, too, is about, like, the stereotypes of our pairing. Like, there were so many, like, the people that I really appreciate everyone who sent in questions, but a lot of them were very stereotyping. Like, people saying things like, you get a lot done, you can't relax, you don't know how to feel the feelings. But I actually think that we have worked really hard on this. Like, I think we both kind of pretty quickly came to that level of awareness that even though we both have emotions beneath the surface, we have had a historically a very difficult time expressing them. And so we've worked hard to like really unfold them and express them and discuss them together. And 
I think you said it best the other day when we were talking through this of like the point of the Enneagram is that everyone has feelings and we all display them differently. And so the Enneagram is also about communicating those feelings and figuring out ways to get past your natural inclination of like wanting to protect or shelter them and being able to to bring those things into your awareness and to be able to work through them. And so it's just kind of interesting because like we we tend to, you know, be some of the types that I think people maybe dislike a bit, um, at least in the feedback that I get on, that I hear from people online. But um, I feel like because of that, we have been so intentional, not because of the feedback, but because of like our desire to grow and learn and both just having that bent. We've just been really intentional about like, how do we learn to slow down? How do we learn to have more fun? Mm -hmm. How do we learn to like really hear each other and see each other even when things are busy? Um, like, I think that those things have really been priorities for us. Yeah. So one of the other things that came up that I just want to touch on really quickly, because we are not going through this quickly at all, um, is this question, is it hard to have disagreements without rationalizing the other's behavior because of the Enneagram? And when I asked Brandon this question, I would love to hear your response. Because what I remember you saying is that we don't do this. Yeah, I, I don't think that we do this. And... I, I think I went on, like, I got on a soapbox when we were initially talking about this question. Because it's not the point of the Enneagram. Yeah. Like, the point of, like, for me, and maybe this is true of other people, too, and I, this is kind of like when Steph talks about, like, I got over the Enneagram. What I got over was this, like, culture of, like, Enneagram memes. Like that, like it rapidly turned into that after it's like Ascension in like 2015, 2016, 2017. I don't even really know when it like reached its peak. Maybe it's reaching its peak now. Um, but like there's this meme culture around like actually using the Enneagram as a harmful tool. And I feel like this is, this is like, this is the spirit of that like sort of question or not the spirit of this question, but kind of like the result that comes from it. And I, I just don't I don't think that it's a helpful practice to leverage information about someone against them as a way of like explaining who they are. I think when we get into a disagreement about something and like say we're not having like we're not having a calm rational conversation like we've gotten into like a full-fledged argument like voices are elevated we're annoyed there's not we're not really acting from a place of like health. What's coming out is not our number. What's coming out is our trauma and our learned responses. And so the worst thing that I think you could do, it would be the, it would be the equivalent of being like, I don't know if I can give an example of like, it, it's basically like loading up all of your ammunition. So it's like you get into a big argument over who, like who cleans the kitchen or someone didn't clean the kitchen or something like that. And then me saying, well, for the last like six weeks, you have not cleaned up any of your lunch dishes. Like that's, that's what I see this as like, it's a very like petty sort of way of argument. And so I think that these are the types of things when people start to let le leverage the Enneagram in this way, I feel is what you're doing is it you're doing it a disservice. Mm -hmm. You're making it unhelpful in that way. And so like avoiding it, like how do we avoid it? I like to me, it's not even something to be 
avoided. It's something that I I, I don't know. It's just like, I don't want to go to that place because I know what the end result is. Yeah. And, and I think too, like what this, cause that's really the, the nature of weaponizing the Enneagram, which is really unhelpful. And also saying, well, I just do this cause I'm a three or I just do this cause I'm a one. And I think what you and I both have this understanding of is there are a lot of things, a lot of woundings, a lot of different things beneath the surface. So the Enneagram really helps us understand ourselves with those better. But explaining that away or like using your type to explain that away, it doesn't actually solve anything. <laughs> like it yeah. doesn't actually make anything better. It just makes it worse. <laughs> like, and it, it also it's a cop out. Like you can't, you can't just go around saying that. And like, you're never going to be able to be genuinely in a positive relationship with your partner. If that's the way that you handle things. Um, and I think you and I have like really tried to build a healthy relationship. And so I think that we don't <laughs> do things that we think will be bad for it. Yeah. And like, and I like, I don't want to fault someone for doing it. And I don't want anybody to feel as though like the relationship is broken if this has been done, but like there is a time and a space at which like you should probably have a conversation with your partner if this is the sort of thing that comes up in arguments because it's not actually going to help you progress because the problem is not what their Enneagram type is. The problem is something else. Yeah. And sometimes like I like what I like what I feel as though we've learned through marriage is like when like when I'm upset about the kitchen not being clean and I'm blaming you for it the problem is not the kitchen there's something there might be something that's deeper underlying that yeah I and mean, I'm I think, using that as the excuse to get upset yeah like and and then we get into the deeper question of like oh well you've been working a lot and maybe you haven't been showing up in the relationship in the way that I need you to. And it's like, oh, okay, then we can have a conversation. Then we can like really talk about that. And, and obviously like I deeply care about that. And so like, I don't care if the dishes are clean that much, you know, but I do care if you don't feel like seen and cared for and loved and heard in our relationship. So then that's the quickest way for me to change, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I think this kind of like leads into the next question, which is how has learning your types helped your marriage? I feel like overall, especially because we have talked a lot about mistyping and these different sorts of things, a lot of it has just been building awareness. Um, like wanting to understand each other more, wanting to be there for each other, building our own sense of emotional intelligence, going to therapy, you know, all of our own inner work journey. Like I think those things have been really, really impactful. Um, But I think the Enneagram has helped us have more empathy for one another when it's like, instead of just thinking that the way that somebody else, that the way that you're seeing something is wrong, I can be like, oh, I could see that from your perspective. And like, I can see that this is what you're hearing, even though I don't feel like that's what I'm saying. So like, how do we communicate that differently so that, um, we can talk about that. We can navigate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like it's not like, cause I think it's like, I guess the question is like understanding, understanding like our, like, is it understanding my type or understanding your type? I guess that's like uh, the, both like, of them. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that, I mean, like, one of your, like, you've spent a, a lot of time talking about communication. And, like, I think the overlap between, like, like that and, like, marriage counseling is that, like, marriage counseling is very much focused on communication. That's mm-hmm. realistically what a majority of the work is. And so, like, when someone says something, it's, like, not that everything is codified. Like, sometimes things are just what they are. Like, sometimes you just say, I'm angry at you for X. And that's truly what the person is angry at you for. But sometimes it's, like, there's obviously layers behind that. And it's, like, well, why is that upsetting them? And, like, understanding your type helps me understand why you might be upset about something. Um. So, and, it, like, it, it's a way of extending... Is it like sympathy feels like a bad word, but like where it's like, I may not understand why you feel that way about it you or why the way I may not feel that way about it mm-hmm. the same way that you do, but I know that like, it's important to you. And like, I can understand the importance of why when you explain it and say like, oh, this hurt me because of this. Mm-hmm. Or even sometimes you don't even need to explain that because like, I know like kind of what you're your values are yeah um and what space you're operating out of and so like sometimes it even helps me hold back from something that i might say and not to say that i'm being dishonest but it's like oh that's gonna add more to her plate mm-hmm. or like i mean because a lot of some of these conversations i feel like are surrounded around your business and it's like you come to me with a problem and how i handle problems is very differently than what you need in the moment mm-hmm. like sometimes your problems are putting out a fire and I don't, I'm not a fireman at a, at a company. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm more of like a bricklayer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like when you come to me with problems regarding your business, it's hard for me to be a fireman. Yeah. No, you're more of like, a, <laughs> you know how they uh, put goats out to, to trim the brush yeah. <laughs> at yeah. a time? You're a goat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. De- yeah. Definitely. Like I'm going to do everything I can to prevent the fire. Yeah. And yeah. Like, but that's just not, that's not how things work in your business. Your business is much more dynamic than the space where my company operates. Right. And so fires are very, like, they're much more present in your business than they are in mine. Yeah. And so. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, you know, in some ways it's helped because we've really changed the perspective of how we operate in our relationship. So, so that's been really helpful. I think for me in conflict, it's recognizing like, okay, if I'm thinking about the type one and knowing that they're looking to not feel blamed or like looking to say, you know, to figure out who's at fault or who's in the wrong. Like there are definitely times when I've just said, I, I'm not blaming you for anything. Or I'm not saying you're at fault with this. I just want to talk about it, you know? And then that really eases the tension because you're like, oh, okay. You know? Yeah. Um, that, it's just like vocalizing that. Yeah. That reminds me of, I was building the planner boxes and I think I had just finished like the first one and you came out and you said, oh, you're making them that tall. And like, I don't remember how I responded, but I like, it wasn't like, there wasn't a long exchange in that moment. But I, I don't think that the response was good. I like felt confused because like, what I heard is you made them the wrong height. And you call into question what the finished product is. It, it feels as though you're telling me. And so like you like whatever that short exchange was, you went back into the house and then you came back out later. And I said to you, it's like when you said, oh, you're making them that tall. What I heard is you made them too short. Mm. 
And so yeah. when when it's not a recognition that, hey, you finished it, it's a statement about, and this is not to like, <laughs> I don't want to like color this in any sort of way, but it, I think you've, you've, you now have a better understanding yeah. of like, maybe like you'll now come to me and you're like, oh, that looks great. I didn't realize you're going to make them that tall. Or like, well, yeah, but also like the reason that that happened is because you told me that morning you were going to make them a different height. And then I came out and I was like, oh, you, you didn't make them a different <laughs> yeah. height. You made them this height. And like, to me, it was just innocent. Like I was like, okay, cool. And, but I think, yeah, for you, it was like a judgment. And to me, I was like, what yeah. is happening? Why is what I was just making a comment? Yeah, it's definitely. Yeah. I think that the, like when I can't remember when I designed these, but I think I changed the height several times yeah and i was just like trying to find this like perfect proportion and i guess going back and forth back and forth and it's like you know i can i designed it in 3d so that i can have like a general idea of like what they would look like i can put them next to like human models but then when something comes into like the real physical space it looks very different and i just felt as though it was wrong and so like i was like okay this is what i'm doing and it was like I had four more to make after that one. And so like, it was like all this crushing weight of like, I had made this decision. It's done. This is what we're going forward with. And it's like, at that point, sometimes like, because, because you want to get things, particularly when it came to like the front yard, like you wanted to get things done, like get it done and get it perfect. Like the way, so that it can kind of just be forgotten. So when I heard that, I was like, Oh no, she's going to make me start over. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah, and I think I was just like, I don't remember. I I just like don't even remember it being like anything that I was. I didn't feel a type of way about it. Like I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah, and so you I know. think that like, but that was like because of what the conversation that happened after that, where I brought up like, oh, this is what I was feeling. This is what I heard. That's how me understanding my type helped me communicate like, what was going on inside. Mm-hmm. And some of that is through the Enneagram. Some of that is through therapy that that was like, you know, sure, it like is reflective of my type, but it's also like my knee jerk response to a question that isn't questioning. Like it just is legitimately an innocent question. Mm -hmm. But as a one or where I come from, like my experiences through life, anytime someone questions something, I hear it as questioning. You hear it as you did something wrong. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and it, that is, like, really interesting and, like, really helpful to learn about each other. Um, and I think, in general, both of our types are – or both of us I, – I don't know if this is necessarily a type thing for type 3, but um, – probably is. But both of us are really aware of our shortcomings. And so that's good and bad, right? Because we can both be really sensitive to criticism, but we're both really adaptable to change and the approach to something when when things aren't going well, I think, is really – focus on like, okay, how do we make this better then? Like, how do we make sure that we are um, showing up for each other or doing what we need to do? Like, I think that it's not typical for us to like, for one of us to say, hey, I'm not feeling like we're connecting or to say, hey, like, I feel like we're not spending good, like quality time together. Like the response to that is normally not, well, that's on you then or something. It's normally like, okay, like, how do, how do we make it better then? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah. And so just being adaptable in that sense, I feel like we, we do a good job. Um, and I think we both work really hard, um, to be a good spouse. Um, so I think that there's a lot to be said for that. Um, and I think that that is true of like, I mean, any type, but like, I feel like 
when people think that ones and threes just don't care about their relationships. I actually just don't think that's the case at all. And I think that, you know, a lot of one and three couples, I'm sure, are this way where it's like they want to invest in self-awareness and in growing and becoming more grounded and emotionally agile and kind and connected human beings in general. Um, and so I think that goes a long way for us in our relationship. Okay. So on that note, people ask for our best advice for a good marriage or relationship. So Brandon, you want to go first? Maybe this is, yeah, this is like just general thoughts of like, there's no such thing as balance. Mm -hmm. I think early on in our relationship, I guess this is more like, this is more of like a caution than it is (laughs) um, advice that like, there's this, I think there's this illusion that everything is going to be 50, 50. And that, like, when you get married, you're going to sort through who does the laundry or who folds the laundry or who does the dishes, who vacuums, who cleans the bathroom, who makes the dinners, who goes to the grocery store. There's all of these, like, logistical things to figure out when you get married. And that just life changes over time. And that that balance that maybe you struck in the first year of marriage or in the first six months of marriage or whatever isn't going to be persistent. Like, the demands of life are going to change. People's jobs are going to change all these sorts of things. And so sometimes it means carrying a lot of the home stuff and like just realizing that the other person doesn't have the capacity for it. Um, And sometimes like it's somebody's job to just like stick it out for a little bit longer in a job so that the other person can figure out their job. Um, I, and so, yeah, I just like, I think that's like the, biggest thing for me is that there's 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 just no such thing as balance in marriage like sometimes you will find that magical mix like i think we did have it for a while and i i think we truly enjoyed it and we relished it like we had a lot of fun together during that time but it was like it was one year i think of the eight that we've been together where the that balance actually existed and (laughs) i don't really see that balance coming back anytime soon and so um I think that also just comes into play that like that the interests are going to change as well and giving each other space to explore those interests is important um and letting the person change um and I think that's probably like the I think those kind of go hand in hand um I think oh yeah I think I was going to say this when we were talking about the other question um like you, you, you get to make your own rules in marriage. I, we, and I, this is, this may be just like pointed at a specific group of people, but like when we were heavily involved in church and still practicing, there's all of these like heteronormative ways of being in a relationship and who does what and who's responsible for what. And that just doesn't work for who we are as beings. That doesn't work for like, if we're talking about Enneagram types, you are a person of action and I'm tend to be a little bit more precise when it comes to stuff, but decisions in life can always be made with precision. They need to be made with action and you're, you're more ready to make decisions and deal with whatever consequences come from them. 
I have a hard time making decisions knowing that they're going to be consequences. And so like that meant early on, that meant going outside of what the quote unquote rules were, were for a Christian relationship. Like we came from like a complementarian background and that just was never going to work for us who we were as beings. And we realized that pretty early on in our marriage and started to move away from that. Um, so yeah. And like, you can, you can take stuff that people like people will come to you. You're probably listening to this right now and you're like, Oh, I should put that into practice. And I don't, I don't want to elevate myself to that point, which like, this is that valuable, but like you may hear other people give you advice on like what you should do in your marriage. But those are two different people in a different type of relationship doing something that works for them and finding happiness in it. And so like you can try it out, but if it doesn't work for you, you don't have to keep doing it just because somebody else does it and it works for them doesn't mean that it's going to work for you. Yeah. So I, I guess that that's pretty much it. So what, what would you say is your best advice? Well, I was just going to say that I think that you were basically just quoting Taylor Swift that whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on it. Being open to one another's evolution, I think being really open-handed about that. We have changed so much in the years that we've been together, especially the years that we've been married. And I feel like we have never come to it with the expectation of that we would be the same person eight years in that we were when we got married. So I think that expectation that we are ever evolving and changing and becoming new people, like I think having that expectation is really useful, especially because we are just so curious, like both of us, we love to research, we love to learn things, we love to like go down these different rabbit trails, we love to experiment with different ideas and concepts and like even aspects of ourself. And so I don't think it would work like if we felt like we had to be the same way that we were at the beginning, because we just aren't like we just are so you know, I guess like adaptable is like a really positive way of, of framing that. But I think that we're just like mutable, I guess, um, mm-hmm. as humans. Um, and so I think that's the big thing. Um, that's like one of the the biggest things. And, and like you were touching on too, with the idea of balance is at different seasons or different years, like you have to readjust and the expectation that one person always carries the whole load and in any area, um, you know, it's not like you make that decision once and do it forever um, for us anyway. So mm-hmm. if that works in your relationship, that's fine. But for us, but, and then I think also getting interested in each other's interests. Like I don't know about disc golf, right. But I'll, I'll watch disc golf on the weekends, you know, when we watch the tournaments or whatever, like that's fun for me. Or like, I learned about the different Twitch drama that's happening. And like, I think that's <laughs> interesting and like learning about video games and whatnot. Um, and you learn about the stuff that I'm interested in too, because this is like what we do to like care about each other and to have those conversations and um, to be there for each other. So I think that, you know, I love those, those moments too. Yeah. Yeah. So I like, think, yeah. What I hear you saying is like, when you say get interested in what you see, like what I hear is like, you're seeing what is meaningful to me, even though it's not meaningful to you. And like, you're not going to shame me for it. You're not going to put me down for it. You're not going to make jokes about it. Maybe every once in a while, you might like prod a little bit when I've gone on for 20 minutes about a new disc that I just bought. But like, (laughs) for the most part, it's like, yeah, it's giving, it's allowing the space to be different and to grow. And I think that paints like that, like 
that makes it easier. Like when we see that change in one another and that interest, like when you went on the deep dive into like perfume, like it's like that is that that that's just like that's a signal too that like other things can change and everything's gonna be okay. Like I like I think that like even I think it's important because like where we came from, people got married very young. Like, at least, like, in our eyes, very young. And even today, I look back and I'm like, how could you get married at that age? Like, how do you even know who you are? And so, like, who I was when we got married is not who I am today. There are some persistent themes. There are still values that I hold. There there are things that I still pursue and like today. But if I wasn't allowed to evolve, I wouldn't actually become a better person. And I think that that's what some people get wrong about evolution in a person is that like they think that the evolution is only going to be bad. But like if you don't allow the person to change at all, you're not giving them the opportunity to be better. I think that if you don't have that reverence, then you can't enjoy it in the present. Yeah. And I think like treating it with respect. I mean, we've talked about this before of like flowers grow where you water. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, you don't always have to be watering. That's not the expectation. It's not that you always have to be flourishing and growing, but also seeing a relationship as something that you do need to cultivate and water and like attraction and care and love. Those things are cultivated. They don't just happen by, by chance. And so maintaining that perspective of like returning to how do we grow this? How do we cultivate this? Like, how do we care for our relationship? And I think in a lot of ways we do see ourselves very much as individuals, um, which I think is really beneficial for us um, because we get to go out and do the different things we want to do and like have our different interests, but um, also seeing our relationship almost as like another entity that we're, we're wanting to, to care for. So yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. Final questions. Tell me about a piece of advice that has really stuck with you. Um, I already alluded to the tend to your own garden one a little bit, and that's something that I still hold on to this day. Um, but I think early, like this is kind of more leaning towards career advice, but I think there's something still in it. Um, I had a friend say this, and I've heard this from uh, various other people since then, but it's the, it's the statement of be careful what you get good at. Um, and I think that this can like, there are times in which like this could play actually into your Enneagram type where you, it may not, not actually be a strength of yours, but people assume that because you are a type that you can do something a specific way. And you may be able to tap into that in a way. And so basically he was, my, my friend was warning me against like continuing to work on specific types of projects, because the more you work on those, the better you get at them. And the better you get at them, the more people come to you for those. And if you don't enjoy that work, you're going to continue to do work that you don't enjoy. And so I think that's something that to this day still sticks with me and has actually made me advocate, advocate for myself in the workplace where it's like, I've gone to my boss and said like, I'm not good at this you're getting the result that you want out of me, but this is not a strength of mine. Mm -hmm. And so I would rather this be on someone else's plate. Um, And then that has freed me up to actually work on projects that are meaningful to me and things that I'm excited to work on. And it allows me to actually put out higher quality work. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Those are really good. 
Okay, mine would be um, Fulfillment is an Inside Game. Mm. Um, that was Steve Magnus, either on the Ritual podcast or his podcast, Growth Equation. I have heard quotes like that before, and I always have little quotes that I pull from podcasts or whatever and write down, sometimes unsighted, and then it's very confusing to try to figure out where it came from. And then I think the other thing is just everyone is making it up as they go. And I think that's so important to remember because a lot of the time we get into this mindset of like imposter syndrome of thinking that everybody else has it figured out. And it's just not the case. Like people don't have stuff figured out. They just are able to figure it out as they go or on the fly or they go into work every day and think, okay, well, what is the thing I can do today? Like, what can I learn? And then approach today. So I think those those are kind of my two. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so final question. Tell me about a book that has shaped you or refreshed you in the last year. Um, I'm currently reading uh, Design for the Real World by Victor Papanek. I probably butchered the last name, not really sure. Um, and I like I think in like maybe a true creative fashion, I go through these waves of self-doubt of should I be a designer or should I be a creative or whatever you want to call it. And like, like almost questioning, like, am I cut out for this? Am I good enough at this? And design is kind of like a big field. And I think people think about it narrowly through what their experience is. And I tend to do that myself. And I think I started thinking too narrowly about design. And this is starting to open my mind up again to the possibilities of what that actually means um and so it's really like it's really boosted my confidence and that i have the ability to solve these problems that i have the ability to design a piece of furniture or to do whatever because it's like the skills of design are not limited to one aspect it's not just making like pushing pixels on a screen it's not just the aesthetic yeah there's just like there's form there's function there's all of these different pieces that go together and so it's really helping me like to step back into what I feel like I'm actually good at. What about for you? Yeah. Um, I wrote a bunch of different ones. Um, I think the one that has really been impactful the last couple months is the book. You are a badass at making money by Jen Sincero. Um, it's honestly not a book I would have ever chosen to pick up. I'm like, Mm, the title sounds a little cheesy to be honest like i don't know i was just like not gonna grab it but it was the only one that was adjacent to what i wanted to listen to that was available to borrow immediately on libby and so i was like what the heck i'll just listen to it and honestly it changed my life like Mm. i just think unpacking a lot of the money mindset stuff that i grew up with and that i have adopted along the way has been really transformative. And I think it's really, really powerful um, to readdress those things and unlearn some stuff um, and some bad habits. Um, Along the same lines, 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman, Mm. an incredible book. It's really about how we cannot possibly do all the things. So choose well when you are choosing what things you want to do. Maybe it's time to reread that one since I read it about (laughs) almost a year ago. And then also the things that have really impacted me the last few weeks have been, or the past several months, I'd say, have been what they call quitlet books um, about sobriety and especially women in sobriety. And fun fact, you will get to hear from one of those authors on this podcast very soon. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, but yeah, so those would be mine. Cool. 
Yeah. So how was it, Brandon? Your very first <laughs> podcast episode. Extremely painful. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being here. I really appreciate you. And it's been really fun to do this with you and hear all of your responses to things because there have definitely been some topics that we've covered that we haven't talked about in such a frank way before. Um, some of them were not recorded on the podcast, but they've been really, really helpful. So, um, yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for encouraging me to do this. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to Enneagram IRL. If you loved the show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. This is the easiest way to make sure new people find the show. And it's so helpful for a new podcast like this one. If you want to stay connected, sign up for my email list in the show notes or message me on Instagram at nine types co to tell me your one big takeaway from today's show. I'd love to hear from you. I know there are a million podcasts you could have been listening to, and I feel so grateful that you chose to spend this time with me. Can't wait to meet you right back here for another episode of Enneagram IRL very soon. The Enneagram in Real Life podcast is a production of Nine Types Co. LLC. It's created and produced by Stephanie Baron Hall with editing support from Brandon Hall and additional support from Crits Collaborations. Thanks to Dr. Dreamship for our amazing theme song. And you can also check out all of their music on Spotify.